And Lord, we just pray that you anoint him to speak your words now, the ones he's prepared, the ones you've breathed into him. And that you just open our hearts and our minds to hear them and receive what you've got to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good afternoon. Fantastic being up here. I'm aware that last time I was up here I made bold claims about Tottenham Hotspur in the FA Cup semi-final, which actually proved not to be uh, quite as successful as I thought. However, (laughs) yes. Evidently. There we are. Um, It's great to be here. I was um, thinking earlier, I'll tell you what, I need that remote control launch. I was thinking earlier about um, the last time I was asked to speak at a BCF function, event, um, 25 years ago. <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> I also thought Dave Day didn't look any different either, but um, I found it. I got it, thank you. 25 years ago, when I was 15, never allowed a 15-year-old to do something like that. It was, it was a high school. Um, I was part of Samwell Baptist that had just at that point been uh, merged with, with BCF, uh, which was fantastic for us, and that we were part of a house group. And I was asked to speak, and at that point I was um, really bubbling over with things of God. I was passionate, I was running hard after God, I was desperate and hungry for any um, teaching I could get. And at that point, I was very heavily influenced by the Word of Faith movement. Um, spiritual giants like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, and worst of all, Tim Groves. <laughs> yeah. All three of those had a big influence on me. I even had the Tim Groves haircut. And I was asked to speak at this um, house group meeting, and... Um, I spoke about something I'd been listening to Kenneth Kenneth and Tim talking about, which was the blessings and curses uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy, I think, and kind of following after God or not following after God and what you might expect. It was very uh, kind of tied into that whole word of faith thing. So I was really probably spitting out what I'd, you know, regurgitating what I'd picked up from these uh, these three (laughs) spiritual giants of our time. And... um, probably going on for about three quarters of an hour, and all of a sudden, this lady stood up and said, Oh, I've got a little bit of this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what a load of rubbish! <laughs> <laughs> and if that wasn't clear, I was speaking uh, and, and interrupted with pinpoint precision by this lady who stood up and said, What a load of rubbish! She did. <laughs> 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 I thought I had. <laughs> you probably weren't expecting him to do that. He wasn't expecting him to do that. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the lady to do that. In the, um, it felt a lot worse at the time when she did it than when Mark did it. Um, I wasn't expecting that. What a load of rubbish, she said. So I, I got Mark to say it, just so that nobody else would uh, shout out. It, it was quite hurtful at the time, but um, I'll mention more about um, the other side of that coin 
later. It was unexpected. My talk today I've called, which will be 20 minutes, no more, Expect the Unexpected. Now we've been going through the book of John for the last few weeks, probably months since we only meet every, every other couple of weeks here. Uh, and we're currently on John chapter 5. Now we're going to have the words up on the screen from the scripture um, as I read them anyway. So feel free to get your Bibles. John 5. And I'm going to be looking at just the first 15 verses this afternoon for the next few minutes. Later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special feast. Now in Jerusalem, there's a pool with five covered Porsches. That's like not a convertible Porsche, but they're covered. <laughs> five, I think. I'm not sure. I'm no expert. Five covered porches, which is called Bethesda in the Hebrew language. This pool is near the Sheep Gate. Many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind, some were crippled, and some were paralysed, and they waited for the water to move. Sometimes an angel of the Lord came down to the pool and stirred up the water. After the angel did this, the first person to go into the pool was healed from any sickness he had. Now a man was lying there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw the man and knew that he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, Do you want to be well? The sick man answered, Sir, there is no one to help me get into the pool when the water starts moving. While I'm coming to the water, somebody else always gets in before me. Then Jesus said, Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well. He picked up his mat and began to walk. The day this happened was a Sabbath day. <coughs> We missed a little bit there. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, Today is the Sabbath. It's against our law for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. But he answered, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? But the man who had been healed did not know who it was, because there had been so many people in that place. And Jesus had left, maybe in one of the Porsches. Uh, later Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him see you are well now stop sinning so that something worse does not happen to you then the man left and told his people that Jesus was the one who had made him well expect the unexpected I was thinking about the unexpected when I was preparing for this uh, hurriedly last night, <laughs> over the last few weeks. And uh, the first thing that popped into my mind when thinking about my own life and things that were unexpected, there's lots to choose from. Uh, the Tottenham result two weeks ago would be one of them. Um, but funny enough, the, the, the thing that popped into my mind, and I'm kind of glad that most of the children have gone out now, um, related to three fights that I had at school, or almost had at school, some of them. Three fights. The first one was with a chap called Lee Baber. Now, I don't mind saying his name. He's not the sort that would be here. Have <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got the old boo up there? He was not a nice guy. <laughs> and we were playing football. One, oh, I did that the way. We were playing football uh, at the local park. 
And uh, he was definitely cheating. I mean, he was beating me. He must have been cheating. He was cheating. And out of character, I said to him, you're cheating. He pushed me, I pushed him. And then he punched me in the face very hard. Ouch. What a punch. Lee Baber. It was unexpected. It hurt. First time you get punched in the nose. I sometimes think with my own children, you know, I'd like them to avoid them ever having that experience. And I sometimes honestly think to myself, in a brief moment, only for a few milliseconds, if I was the one that delivered the punch, then we could get that bit over with. But I've not, I've not ever done that. <laughs> so, but anyway, an unexpected punch in the nose. The second fight was in year seven with one of my friends called Dean. Much smaller than me, I have to say. Um, but it was a right old, uh, proper kind of kid's scrap on the way home from school. And I just remember kind of like grabbing each other and rolling around on the floor. I don't know what the fight was about. Some girl who fancied me and he liked her probably. <laughs> or something. Uh, we were rolling around the floor fighting, punching and kicking each other. And, you know, whatever year seven boys do when they're fighting. When all of a sudden, two... I can only describe them like oak trees, like branches of an oak tree, reached in, arms, reached in and grabbed both of us and took a hold of us and immediately stopped the fight. It's Bob the Lollipop Man. <laughs> Quite unexpected to have our fight broken up by Bob the Lollipop Man. As he was a lady. I just didn't have a good enough photograph of the lady. <laughs> Not he didn't hit us with his stick, he just grabbed us both, and, and that was enough. We stopped fighting. But it was very unexpected to be stopped in your tracks by a lollipop man in that kind of way. Finally, most unexpected of all, a year later, I got on the wrong side of the school bully. I think I'd said to him, no, I will not stand outside the toilets while you smoke and be your, what you will look at. Why can't I smoke? No, I didn't say that. I never smoke. Said no to him, he said, I will fight you on the way home from school, or something like that. that 18th century talk. Uh, so, I was walking home from school, very worried that the school buddy was going to fight me, uh, or just probably hit me many times as I caved in. Uh, when all of a sudden I was saved from the fight, unexpectedly, from the school bully, <laughs> by my brother, who's a Methodist minister. He wasn't then, he is now. And in fact, he always has been, in some way or other. Um, he, not the sort to get involved in the fight, but three years older than me. He uh, turned up and walked me home and saved me from a good beating that I didn't deserve. It was unexpected. I don't know why the idea of fighting kind of flew into my mind when I was thinking about this. It just did. Two weeks ago, when Matt was talking... He mentioned something that got my brain ticking about the book of John. He said it's different to the other three Gospels in the New Testament. So I kind of looked into it myself a little bit and um, found, sure enough, the Gospel of John. Why didn't I know this after being a Christian for 30-something years? The Gospel of John is quite different indeed from the other three Gospels. The order, I think he mentioned this, the order of chapters, the, order, the sequence of events is not the same. It's not chronologically written like the other three perhaps are. The order is different. The style of language is different in the book of John. And the content, some of it is different. 
of what is written in the book of John is only found in the book of John, not in the other three Gospels. I was amazed by that. What, have I not been reading my Bible very long? The wedding at Cana, Jesus turning water into wine, Lazarus being raised from the dead, they're only in the Gospel of John. Jesus' birth, his baptism, the Lord's Prayer, the Sermon on the Mount, they're all in the others, but they're not in the Gospel of John. So it's quite a different book. I was trying to consider why is this the case, and I thought it must just be the special care and attention has been taken by the writer, be it John or whoever. Special care and attention has been taken to put the chapters, as it were, the, the, the sequence of events in certain order to mean something to us, to help us and the readers at the time to understand them. And if we read the first seven chapters, we find there is a, a consistent theme, the theme of water. The first chapter of John is about John the Baptist, not the same John, different John, John the Baptist, baptising people in water, announcing the arrival of Jesus. It doesn't mention in John that Jesus gets baptised by John, as it does in the other Gospels, but um, clearly water involved, announcing the arrival of Jesus. Chapter 2, Jesus famously turns water into wine at the wedding of Cana. His first miracle. Chapter 3, Jesus has that famous chat with Nicodemus, which is not spelt like that about being born again, about being born of water and of the Spirit. Chapter 4, what Matt talked about, Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and about uh, how he was giving the uh, gift of living water if she would just ask for it. Chapter 5, the pool at Bethesda. Chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water and freaks out his disciples. And chapter 7, the famous quotation about streams of living water flowing from us, referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, I can only imagine that water was really important to uh, any community 2,000 years ago. Of course, it's important to us. Don't drink enough of it. Kind of need some now. Uh, and um, it's important, as we know, all around the world. Lots of uh, projects happening to get water um, pumped into areas of, of, of the world where they don't currently have clean water. Water's very important, but why does John make it a centerpiece in his book, in his writings? Why does he focus the first seven chapters um, about water? I read that a lot of people believe the Gospel of John was written later than the other Gospels. I read that people um, believe that that extra 10 or 20 years was spent editing and honing the book, the letter, if you like, to, it, to an unknown church. To, uh, to really, you know, take a good look back at all that happened over that 90, 100 years or whatever, and to, uh, to, to put it together in, in a very clear, meaningful way. Oh, Terry, that's so kind of you. Thank you so much. And maybe one of the things that John had in mind was to present a higher... Christology to paint more of a complete picture of Jesus. Jesus as Messiah. Jesus as the Son of God.
I read those 15 verses a few weeks ago, thinking about today, and, and have been dwelling with them for a while, something struck me as odd with the story. I don't know if you felt the same. And I realised it was the whole thing with the angel stirring the water. Now that's not mentioned in a number of translations, and it is in some. Uh, and I've grown up with that, it, that picture in my mind with this story, that an angel comes down once a year, perhaps stirs the water. The first person that gets in is the one that gets healed, and if you're not the first in, then you don't. If two go in at once, I don't know what would happen there. Leave it up to the Lord or the angel. And that it's just kind of seems odd when you read the New Testament and then read a story like that. It's an unusual kind of story, isn't it? It's like the Old Testament clashing with the New Testament. There was a, a film recently, uh, I can't remember what it's called, and it had a fantastic strap line. It was one of these kind of like, you know, crime thrillers, thrillers where the, uh, the person, you know, gets robbed and beaten up, and then he gets his own back and says, this time it's biblical. <laughs> this time it's biblical. And when I read this story, I feel like saying, this time it's Old Testament. You know, but it's the New Testament reading. But the idea of an angel coming down and stirring the water and one person at a time per year getting healed just feels to me very Old Testament. There we are, this time it's biblical. It's like a juxtaposition, a, a meeting of East and West, a meeting of Old and New. And right in the middle of there is Jesus making a difference. Bishop Ryle, I love my Bishop Ryle books. The fact that they haven't, they don't look as if they've been read much doesn't mean anything. He says, <laughs> actually, actually this is a, a famous theologian, Baxter, Bishop, Bishop Ryle quoting from that. If you know Baxter is checked with her David John. Uh, the Paul of Bethesda is, is Old Testament religion. The small benefit it conferred, only heeding one person at a time, represents the narrow, limited benefit which Judaism conferred on mankind. The merciful interference of Christ on the sick man's behalf represents the bringing in of the gospel for all the world. What I mean is, the Old Testament maybe could be summed up in my own mind by saying, God gives the Jewish race uh, rules to live by, and if they literally follow them to the letter of the law, then they'll keep in his presence. Then they'll um, dwell in his favour. And then Jesus comes and brings an unmerited outpouring of grace for all people. Jesus breaks into the story. He fulfills the law. He sets us free from and sets us free into. And in fact, the um, name Bethesda in Hebrew means house of grace. So no coincidence that Jesus picks this place to uh, pour out his grace on this individual to demonstrate what it is that God is doing in him and through him. The guy's been there, he's been ill 38 years as long as I've been alive, almost. <laughs> uh, and who knows how long he's been there by the side of the pool, waiting to get in there. 
Jesus comes and heals him. Also notice it said in the scripture that he entered Jerusalem through the sheep gate and it amused me. I thought, you know, here comes the good shepherd, here comes the Lamb of God and he chooses the sheep gate. You know, there must be a sense of humour in there somewhere. Or a coincidence, I don't know. But <laughs> I like to think that God is like, oh, which gate should I get Jesus to go through? The sheep gate, that would be funny. Everyone will, not, everyone will miss that. And thousands of years later, people go, oh. You know. <laughs> if you had been there with God's power expressed through you like Jesus had, if I had been there, I think, what would we have done? We would have said, oh, what works here? Um, stir the water, get the man in first. Right, everybody stand back. I'm going to stir the water, push the man in, kind of some sort of weird baptism thing. He'll be healed and all that. Jesus doesn't do that. He bypasses that whole law thing. Um, maybe it's, you know, he comes and does something unexpected. Oh. <laughs> I was um, walking home, living in Thornbury, walking home uh, about three weeks ago, walking the dog actually, late at night, it was one of those evenings where it was still very dark, and I uh, walked the dog, that is Streamside Walk, now Streamside Walk is not always very well lit, I don't know if you find that, there's quite a long section of it to get from the Gloucester Road to, uh, to where we live. I was walking there, Streamside Walk, and you get fairly familiar with what it looks like in the daylight and in the dark as well, and I saw in the distance, in the dark distance, Six large mounds. You could only see the outline, the silhouette, the shadow of them. But enough to know, those aren't usually there. Six large mounds on the ground. And you're faced with, I could walk, you know, an extra kind of 500 yards and go the long way, or keep going. What could they be? As I got closer, Really couldn't make out any outline, just kind of like giant mounds, is it mounds of earth or something? Then they jumped up all at once. And then they started walking towards me. Now, that's kind of scary enough, isn't it? <laughs> Two days turn back now, so I've come, you know, I'm 30 yards from them. Then I see they're wearing army uniforms, camouflage. And they're walking towards me. And it's a bit worrying. And I think, come on, Lord, what should I do here? And then they start shouting. Fire, fire, fire! Bang, 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 fire! And uh, to be honest, I carried on going. Despite my better judgment. It was only when I got right up close to them that I kind of realised, literally right up to them, I realised this was the, the TA or the, or the local um, uh, cadets on training manoeuvres at 10 o'clock at night on stream five. Thanks ever so much. <laughs> and the bang, bang, shoot, fire was just them reenacting or, or kind of, you know, training without real gunfire, thankfully. Hugely unexpected. A life lived with Jesus is full of the unexpected. When I was 15, I thought I understood it all. I thought I knew that if you sinned against God, you might have some illness. If you obeyed God, then you'd be freed from illness. I thought I understood what God was all about. When the lady jumped up and said, what a load of rubbish, although it wasn't particularly a, a, maybe a great way, I realise now that 
it was a load of rubbish, what I was talking about. What I kind of believed at that point was a load of rubbish. A very immature way of looking at things. God loves to surprise us and do things out of the ordinary, to do things that are unexpected. Some friends of ours have got a beautiful 11-month-old baby. And it's actually, if you know Ishmael, the worship leader, um, his grandchild, Quinn. And I think it was on the day, like the two-year anniversary of Ishmael being given the all-clear from the cancer he had gone through, two years to the day, they find out that the 11-month-old grandson has got a really rare form of cancer. All over Facebook, all of our friends. What are you supposed to say to your friends when they find out their 11 month old baby, their only child, has got a cancer? Do those things that I believed when I was 15 make any sense there? Should I pull out an old preach? The lady who stood up and said, what a load of rubbish, had a couple of Down syndrome children. I don't suppose I knew that at the time. Probably I did, and that wouldn't have connected with me. And there was I talking about, you know, I've got a great understanding of this, you know, if you do this and do that, if you don't do this, don't do that, then God will do this and that and the other. I think I had more in common with Glenn Hoddle and David Icke than the Lord himself, probably. Tim Groves, you can blame, for sure. You, um, I'm almost finished. You know the story, uh, many of you, that my sister Anna died a few years ago as a teenager with cancer. And for months she was in hospital, um, going through treatment and progressively getting worse, a little bit better, then much worse. It was brilliant that we as a whole family, my brother and his family, uh, Mark and Sarah, and George and Richard, and, and, and Ali and myself, and my mum and dad, and our kids, those that were around at that time, were able to spend almost every day in the hospital with Anna as she was going through what she was doing. And one of the things that we were up to, as well as being with her, was to support each other. And to almost formulate a strategy of how we're going to get through this. And part of that was, you know, what to pray. How do we pray? What is, you know, what, what do we believe about this? And I think I had a fairly clear idea that, you know, she's not going to die. And even if she does, we'll lay our hands on her and God will, you know, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We'll lay hands on her and she'll be healed. I kind of thought, if God lets it get even that far, then... You know, then that will be fine. We'll do that. We'll take that course of action. I was full of faith about that. But the most amazing thing about that whole time was when she did pass away. And it was like Jesus was in the room a few days before, a few weeks before. She had said, you know, I think Mark would be there. And she said, is that Jesus, you know? And it, Mark was quite smug about that. So that <laughs> no, he's behind you, that kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't him at all. But, uh, but she had sensed Jesus' presence tangibly in the room when she could still kind of communicate in those ways. And it was like Jesus was with us. And 
But the amazing thing was, is there was no sense of despair, no sense of, you know, God's let us down, no sense of, um, you know, let's lay hands on her and, and see her healed. Because in some inexplicable way, it was like God had done the miracle. Her body was lying there still and lifeless, yet you just had the sensation that she's well. I don't mean in a kind of, let's make the best of it, literally, you felt she's been rescued from this. She has been restored. She has been healed. And it was unexpected. It wasn't what we hoped and imagined for. But when it happened, it was the most amazing thing. God performed an unexpected miracle. So, what do I say to my friends who have got sick baby? For all of us who, who know, and we know several situations, don't we, in our lives over the last couple of years and currently where people have been unwell um, and, uh, and we're just trying our best to make and get an understanding of what's God doing and what can we do to support families and day, days here today. His, his family were amazing to my family when I was sick. What can we do to support each other? And I'm glad to tell you I've got no slick answers. I've got no formulated plan for how we can respond. Except to say, I think all I can do, all we can do in our lives, in anything like this that we're going through, is to fix our eyes on Jesus to expect the unexpected and to expect Jesus. Not to even think, oh, this is what I expect him to do, but just to expect Jesus, just to be fixed on Jesus, to expect him to do the unexpected, whatever it is that he deems best, to expect that. Father, you know our hearts, you know our lives, and we simply ask today that you would give us enough strength to orient our faces towards you, to fix our eyes upon you, even if that's all the strength we've got, is just to be able to look at you, that we would be able to do that today, and expect the unexpected from you, to expect you to do your thing. We invite you into our lives, into every situation in our lives, into every family member and friend that's connected to us, Lord. And we ask you, come and do the unexpected. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.